Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact, and today I'm going to take you into the New Testament account of the Transfiguration, but I am going to show you how you can uncover a depth of meaning in that account that, that I, I, I suspect you have not seen before. The, and I'm, I'm going to give you my conclusion, I'm going to give you the bottom line, and then I'm going to show you, we're going to work through it together, and I'm going to show you how I came to this conclusion. The transfiguration of Yeshua, uh, where he shines, you know, with bright light, is symbolic of the end of times. It's giving us a picture of the end of times. Peter responds, and he doesn't realize that he has to wait until some future time to be part of the end of times. That in fact he can bring the end of times into his life today. And I'm going to show that to you. We're going to we're going to work through this account, and um, and I'll get, I'll get to that conclusion at the end. But there's a lot of work that you have to do in the middle. You know, I always suggest that before you go to a group discussion, which I know many of you do on the Sabbath on Shabbat, you you depend on the leader to to do the work. Or if you've done any work, you're reading the work of the sages. You're not doing the work yourself. You're not going into scripture yourself and uncovering it yourself. And so in this session, I'm going to show you how to do that yourself. So I'm not, we're not just talking about the transfiguration, but I'm showing you how to uncover the depth of meaning, which you need to do before you come into a discussion. Otherwise, in the discussion, the leader will say, you know, what does this mean to you? <laughs> what do you think it means? And who knows whether you're into the depth of understanding or not. You may just be circular reasoning, reasoning and reinforcing the, your, your traditional thinking that you started with. Okay. Let's start with the Transfiguration. The account, it's in, it's in both uh, Matthew and Mark, but I'm going to do the one in, in Matthew. And what we have to do first is we have to see the Transfiguration in its context in the book of Matthew. Because what comes before is when Yeshua asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? So the Transfiguration is in Matthew chapter 17, but we're going to start in Matthew 16, verse 13. And here's the context. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, now that's up in the north of Israel. Those of you who have been to Israel, it's up near Tel Dan. He began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And you remember that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the disciples, and at that point he had the 12 disciples all together, and they realize who he is. He is the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God. But then what we get in chapter 17, at the beginning of the Transfiguration, we read, Six days later, 
Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. Okay, uh, why have I read about the, you know, who do you say that I am? And, and I believe that's in the context because this whole section of Matthew is disclosing who Yeshua is. And 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 equally important, perhaps even more important, once you know who Yeshua is, who are you in your relationship to Yeshua? Who are you? What has God made you? What is God the Father expecting of you? And, and that's what we're going to get here in the Transfiguration. Now, to, to get a sense of geography, Caesarea Philippi is, is up near Tel Dan. And if you go to Tel Dan, you probably went over to Caesarea Philippi. Um, there's a, um, a spring that comes from deep, deep, deep down. And it, it bubbles up, and, and the people in the ancient world thought there was some kind of um, magic connected with it. And the, the uh, Greeks and the Romans uh, did, you know, uh, cult worship there because they believed that from the depth of the earth there was something secret coming up. <clears throat> and, um, and if you are standing in either Tel Dan or Caesarea Philippi, you will look to the north and you will see Mount Hermon which is the highest point in Israel. And in fact, there's a ski area there. They get snow in the winter. And that's where the water comes from the base of, uh, abundant water from the base of Mount Hermon. And that's Tel Dan. That's all that water that's there. Um, and of course, the water at Caesarea Philippi too is all coming from the base of Mount Hermon. So they were probably up, uh, that was the mountain. They, they would have been up on that mountain um, um, in the context of having been at Caesarea Philippi, and then six days later, uh, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain just by themselves. So there were just the four of them. And he, Yeshua, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Now this is imagery that is is pointing to to God himself because God in the Hebrew scriptures is pictured as light he's all light in him is no darkness and in Psalm 4 6 we read you know David says um, lift up the light of your countenance upon us O Lord well countenance is the word for face so his his face is such brilliant light um, and the light represents all that is good, all that is truth, you know, all that is righteous. Um, that's light. In God there is no darkness. He's all light. And his face shines with that light. And that's the image we get with the transfiguration. And, and uh, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Now, it's, it's interesting, I never thought about it until just now, but the garments, you put on the clothing of righteousness. So, and we see that in Ephesians, I think we see it in Galatians also, you, you put on, um, and, and you clothe, and when you put on, you're covering all the sin, so that you're, you're, you're righteous because you've covered all the sin. And it goes back all the way to the creation account, was God clothed Adam and Eve with the covering of the animal skins. So, but but clothe yourself, it says in the New Testament, clothe yourself with righteousness. So Yeshua, you know, shining the light like, like God, 
and and had clothed himself in righteousness. So so he was fully righteous, shining that light um, as God is light. That's what we're seeing. All right, now let's keep going in the transfiguration account. We're in 17, Matthew 17, verse 3, and we read, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Now, again, this is pointing to the end of times, and I'll show you why. Because Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The tabernacles is the final festival of Sukkot. Um, and in English it's called the Feast of Tabernacles because and Sukkot is a, is a tabernacle and it, it's a word that was used in the wilderness account and when in, in, in honoring the, the Feast of uh, Sukkot you build a tabernacle but the roof is not a solid roof so that you can look up into the heavens and it signifies that you are one with God. So Sukkot is the end of times. And and that's what this is talking about. It's talking about the end of times because Peter is saying, let me make three tabernacles. One for you, Yeshua, one for Moses, and one for Elijah because most, certainly you, Yeshua, are worthy to be in the end of times one with God. Uh, Moses is worthy to be in the end times one with God. Elijah is worthy to be in the end times one with God. Now I know there are other explanations for why it's Moses and Elijah, but but I'm focusing in on this concept of tabernacle, end of times, and um, and, and Peter who is saying, you three are worthy to be one with God at the end of time. But who am I to think that I am ever going to be worthy to be with God at the end of times? Because he doesn't say, may I make a tabernacle for me? I mean, this is at the end of times. May I make a tabernacle for me and for, for, um, for James and for John? He doesn't say that. He's only, he can only see that Yeshua shines like God. He can only see that Moses and Elijah are worthy to be one with God at the end of times. That's all he can see. Now, let me show you how to dig into the deeper meaning. And the deeper meaning is that you too can shine the light of God. You too can cover yourselves with righteousness and walk in righteousness. You too can tabernacle with God now in your life. If you are shining the light of God, if you are walking in righteousness, you are tabernacling with God in your life today. And I'm going to show you how I saw that, okay? It's in the word. You have to be curious, and you, you have to be drawn to in your curiosity. And you can look up these words in a concordance. You don't have to be fluent in Greek. You don't have to be fluent in Hebrew. You can look up the words in a concordance. You have to know the, the Greek and Hebrew alphabets, which you can do on the Bible Interact website. But you don't have to be fluent in the languages. So we read here, Yeshua was 
transfigured. That's why we call it the transfiguration. He was transfigured before them so that his he, he shone, his face shone, his clothes shone. He was transfigured. If you look that word up, it's the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get the English word metamorphosis. And it means to change. It means to change from something, the ugly caterpillar, into a beautiful butterfly. butterfly. It simply means to change. It means a dramatic change. That's what it means in the Greek. It means a dramatic change. So what you have to do is that you have to do what's called a word study. You have to see where metamorpho appears in the New Testament. It's a Greek word, so you're going to see it in the New Testament. Now, it's possible to use the Septuagint translation, which was done from Hebrew to Greek about 150 years before Yeshua, to see where they used the word metamorpho in their translation from Hebrew to Greek, and then you can go back and find the Hebrew word there, but I'm not going to do that now. I'm just going to go in and see where metamorpho is used in the New Testament, and from that you're going to see this concept of dramatic change, and you're going to see that it is possible to to have that dramatic change in your life now because two things. Number one, um, yes, you make Yeshua Lord in your life, and number two, God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can walk by the Spirit, and you can only walk by the Spirit by your love and faith in Christ. So, um, so let's take a look at the word metamorpho and, and where it appears in the New Testament. I'm going to take you to Romans chapter 12. And in verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed or shaped to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed is our word metamorpho. It's, it's translated here into transform, not transfigured, but it's the same word. You can say transfigured if you want. Uh, you know, be transfigured. Be transfigured, just like Yeshua was transfigured by the renewing of your mind. That's what it's saying. Now, we have to read it in its context. So we read, starting in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren. And I, I read that, and I can just hear Paul just, oh, he wants so much for all Christian believers in Christ to do this thing that he's instructing us to do. You know, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Well, red flag. You get a picture in your mind of the sacrifice in the Hebrew scriptures, which was to bring a dead animal. You brought the live animal to the priest. He slit the throat, drained the blood, used the blood to splash against the altar, and then the animal was dead when it was burned on the altar. It's a dead sacrifice. All right, That's the picture you get in your mind. That's the picture that people would have gotten in their minds, ancient Israel. That's the picture you should get in your mind. But you're not that dead cow, that dead animal. You're a living and holy sacrifice. You're alive because you, and you're making yourself holy. When you make yourself holy, that's the true sacrifice. You give yourself to God. A sacrifice is a gift. You give yourself. You give yourself to God. You're living and, you, and you're holy. That's what's acceptable to God. That's your spiritual service of worship. worship. And then it goes in verse 2. Okay, here's how you do it, folks. Do not be conformed or shaped to this world. And that's the image of a potter with wet clay shaping it and molding it. And that's what Satan does to us in the world. He shapes us into his image. Do not let that happen anymore. It's happened. But, um, but don't let it happen anymore. But be transfigured, be transformed, be changed, be that dramatic change by the renewing of your mind. And I get a picture of 
a, a yucky glass of water because that's what Satan has done to us. We're, it's a yucky glass of water. That's our mind. And so we take the word of God and, and we pour a perfectly clear glass of water into the yuck. And it turns a little bit clearer and a little bit clearer and a little bit clearer. It doesn't happen all at once. You renew your mind. If you live to be a thousand years old, you'll never stop renewing your mind. You'll never stop growing closer and closer and closer to God by getting rid of the junky, dirty stuff that Satan has put there and replace it with, with the word of God. All right. Now, that's how this word is used, metamorpho. Be transformed, transfigured, have this incredible change is going to happen in your life by putting the word of God into your life and learning how to walk in it. Um, uh, that and, and this will prove what the will of God is. The will of God is that you draw near to Him, and you can only draw near to Him if you're in right, in, if you're righteous. That to, you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's that's where the word metamorpho appears. And, and we're connecting it with the transfiguration of Christ. Because in the transfiguration of Christ, Peter didn't understand. He said, let me build a tabernacle for you and for Moses and Elijah. Because you could be one with God in the end of times. But Paul is saying, look, folks, you've got the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. You've made Yeshua Lord in your life. You now can become a living and holy sacrifice, a living and holy gift to God. You can do it. And when you do that, um, you're going to be radically changed. You're going to be transfigured. You're, you're going to become righteous. That's the will of God, that you, that you become more and more righteous so that you can be one with him. And that's what the tabernacle is all about. The end of times, you're one with God because you are completely righteous. You're perfect. You're completely righteous. But now you can grow in your righteousness through by um uh by renewing your mind you can grow in righteousness you can become more and more righteous and the more righteous you become the more you tabernacle with god and become one with him and grow close to him in a very close rich wonderful relationship that's what it's talking about and that's what the deeper meaning of the transfiguration but i'm going to take you even deeper I'm going to take you even deeper because this word metamorpho is also used in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, let's see, it's chapter 5, I believe. Let me see where I wrote it down. Uh, second, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 18. That's where our word metamorpho appears. And, and I'm going to read you the verse, and it's going to sound very confusing but we're going to work it together. We're going to go into the context. We're going to look up some words. We're going to work it together. We're going to have imagery from the Hebrew scriptures. And then we're going to come back to this verse and it's going to make sense to you. So let me read it to you first and it's going to be confusing. I guarantee. Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 8. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into, into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. I guarantee you're going to be confused by that. Now, what we're going to do, un unless you jump to conclusions, I have a picture of a frog jumping to conclusions, not working through the passage, but just drawing a conclusion in a circular reasoning probably based on, you know, coming from your, your tradition and you, you make it mean what you want it to mean. All right, let's look in the context. In the context, we're going to start with verse 15. 
15. All right. Let's start in 14. Their minds were hardened. This is talking about the Jews. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Now, we've got to get the imagery. The veil is referring to the veil in the temple. There are two veils in the temple. The first veil enters into the holy place. The second veil enters into the Holy of Holies. So it, it, what the, the imagery here is saying is if the veil is, is covering your understanding, um, then you can't come into the presence of God. You can't draw near to God. But Yeshua has done something to make it possible for you to draw near to God and that veil is going to be lifted and the veil can only be lifted because it is removed in Christ. Now that word can also be translated through or by and I would say it should be because it is removed through Christ, through your faith in Christ. That's how it's removed and having it removed allows you to draw closer to God. And then it continues, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart because they have the Hebrew scriptures, but they don't have the understanding of, of, and they don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit through their faith in Christ because they haven't believed in Christ. They don't have that gift of the Holy Spirit, which is going to enable them to draw closer to God. All right, and then in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. All right. Liberty, and you get this from Paul in Galatians, liberty is freedom from sin. Liberty is freedom from Satan. Liberty is freedom from the ways of the world that make you walk in the ways of the world, which is the ways of sin. You are only free when you have you know, turned away from all the, the world and you turn to God and you submit to him in obedience to him. That's what you, in fact, it's irony. You know, when you're walking in the ways of the world, you're in bondage or slavery to Satan. He's in control. Only when you make God in control by becoming a servant of the Lord Yeshua, to becoming a slave of the Lord Yeshua, to submitting in obedience to the Lord Yeshua, then you're truly free. And you're free from, the, from Satan and the ways of the world. And you now become a servant of God. And that's what you become. All right. We're getting pretty deep. We've got to go a little farther here. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That's so important. In the beginning of Genesis, the Genesis account, God created us in his image. Now, God wants us to grow into a life where we see that we are in the image of God. We're walking in the image of God. That's what it's talking about. And when that happens, we are being transformed. That's our word, transfigured, transformed, changed, ultimately changed into the same from glory to glory. The first glory is the creation. God created you in the image of God. The second glory is when you walk in it. There will be a third glory in the future when God will make sure that you're completely righteous. But now you can walk in the glory. You do it by, by um, uh, 
reconciling, uh, not re what, renewing your mind by renewing your of your mind, by getting rid of all the water, the yucky stuff, and 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 making your mind more and more pure. And when you do, you are transformed from the creation in which God uh, created you in His own image to that to, to you have become that image you you look in in the mirror and you see you you see god in you and it's not so much what you see that's not important because that's pride other people see god in you and it's 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 christ in you the hope of glory it's God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God is holy, God is spirit. What the nature of God was in Christ, Christ is in you. And all you have to do is activate it so that other people can see it. And when they see it, it's like the on the Mount of Transfiguration. As Peter and James and John saw this, you know, the light shining from Yeshua, and, uh, and they were one with, with God, one with the Father, so also you can shine that light from inside and when you do you are you, you you've become one with god you're you're and you're that wonderful holy living sacrifice to god and your life is just filled with with incredible blessings and i trust that is something that all of you will strive for and with that i wish you shalom <laughs>